You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters. You can find out how you can become a supporter at patreon.com slash the cyberwire. ISIS inspiration is increasingly directed at children. Crypto mining botnets use the same eternal blue exploit as WannaCry. Criminals experiment to weaponize Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities. Phishing campaigns exploit well-known services, including Google Docs and Outlook. We've got some patch notes, and geolocation and other app-collected info raise OPSEC concerns. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, February 1st, 2018. Its caliphate may have been extirpated from the territory it once held, but ISIS continues to recruit and inspire in its online diaspora. They concentrate on the young, mostly teen and tween boys, feeding them music, slogans, and alas, beheading videos. Foreign Policy magazine calls it a continuing war on families, many of whom have already lost mostly sons to terrorist inspiration. A lot of the fighters killed in Iraq and Syria were teenagers, and ISIS has concentrated patiently on wooing boys online over the course of years with its promise of transcendence and authenticity. Jihad's religious appeal is a central part of ISIS messaging. Anyone who has observed how online gaming, music, and video can capture a child's attention will have at least some sense of what Syrian parents are up against. A very large crypto-mining botnet called Smominru has been in circulation since last May. It's believed to have infected more than half a million Windows machines and earned its criminal masters millions. Its coin of choice is Monero, but the bots it's herded are found mostly in Russia, India, and Taiwan. The botnet's current daily take is estimated at $8,500. Researchers at security firm Proofpoint say that Smominru gets its entree into victim machines through the Eternal Blue exploit, that's CVE 2017-0144. Eternal Blue, dumped by the shadow brokers in what they characterize as the release of stolen NSA equation group exploits, is the same one used by the WannaCry ransomware attack last spring. The WannaMine crypto miner described last week by CrowdStrike continues to circulate. This fileless malware also uses the Eternal Blue exploit. It appears that Smominru and WannaMine are distinct campaigns run by different threat groups, but these stories continue to develop. Hackers are also working on other malware to hit those who haven't yet patched Eternal Blue, and other alleged equation group exploits the shadow brokers released last year. AMD has, like Intel, announced that its next generation of chips will not be burdened with either Meltdown or Spectre. In the meantime, patching efforts continue. The vulnerability has so far not been exposed to threats designed to take advantage of it, but of course we can't count on that forever. 
In fact, malware exploiting Spectre and Meltdown CPU vulnerabilities is expected to break into the wild in the near future. Researchers and a number of security firms have observed more than 130 distinct samples of malicious code designed to attack these flaws. The security firms studying the activity, AVTest, Fortinet, and Minerva Labs, have concluded that exploits aren't proofs of concept, at least not for the most part. Instead, researchers believe they're observing criminal experimentation with new attack tools. The experiments appear to be making use of -of proof-of-concept code publicly released shortly after the vulnerabilities were disclosed. We are therefore seeing weaponization of a vulnerability follow the familiar post-disclosure path. Who's doing the experimenting with Spectre and Meltdown the researchers either don't know or aren't saying, but some of them are speculating that some nation-states and not cyber-criminals will be the first to use them once they're ready. Barracuda warns that it's found criminals impersonating Google Docs, Outlook, and DocuSign. They send emails that purport to be from these trusted services and that claim to remind you that you have unread messages. The links in these phishing emails are, of course, malicious. Don't be fooled. Imagine you've got a system or process you need to test safely in a controlled environment. One method you might use is a cyber range in a cloud sandbox. Shashi Kiran is from Quali, a cloud sandbox provider, and he explains the use cases. For those of you who are familiar with shooting ranges or gun ranges where you're in a position to go exercise arms in a safe and controlled manner, think of something very similar but in the context of a cybersecurity environment. So a cyber range essentially is an environment set up either for testing complex applications, testing uh, certain production scenarios, or for training purposes. And so uh, setting up a cyber range within a cloud sandbox, what are the advantages for doing that from a security point of view? Sandbox is essentially a replica of any environment. It could be an IT production environment, it could be something that's in the data center that could be in uh, in the context of a lab or potentially even something that represents um, a physical environment. You could relate this to like an air traffic control situation, power grids, water supplies, security ops centers. No matter what the environment is, if you want to bring that in the context of um, a representative simulation of sorts, then you can create a sandbox which essentially models all of these different components and exposes them to either developers and testers or to security professionals or to your networking staff whoever needs to get exposed to this environment to come up to speed on security posture. And so the sandbox allows modeling of these environments, bringing them up, and then allows them to be torn down when this activity is complete. So that's really the notion of the sandbox. Uh, We call it a cloud sandbox because this environment can be deployed onto any cloud. It could be in a private uh, cloud environment over bare metal, or it could be in a public cloud environment on Amazon, Azure, uh, OpenStack in a private construct, or even in a hybrid uh, cloud environment. So that's really the notion of the cloud sandbox, which is deploying any environment on any cloud, bringing it up and tearing it down. So if you were to now bring this up to reconstruct a cybersecurity environment, and expose that for either development testing or simulation or training, then it becomes a cyber range. 
and and that's really uh, where we are seeing a lot of pull from defense institutions from larger corporates that want to train their staff and security administrators and professionals as well as uh, some of the frontline security staff to just make them very savvy about the entire end to end security posture and so the benefits for a company to invest in this sort of thing can you outline that for us yeah today if you look at uh, the type of threats that are coming in they're exponentially increasing and you also see that the complexity of the environment is also increasing everything is connected uh, whether it be power grid situations things on the battlefield we have uh, internet of things coming in where endpoint devices and wearables and smart meters the more connected things become the more complex the environment is as the value chain gets fragmented and the harder it is to really detect what your end to end security posture is and to ensure that environment is reasonably uh, fortified this is where we're seeing a lot of uh, interest come in to model such a complex environment particularly in the context of uh, larger enterprises and corporations as i mentioned but also service providers that want to take the notion of a cyber range and offer it to their end user customers and allow them to uh, customize sophisticated protocols quickly or use it for certification and training purposes or to uh, create and test different uh, strategies as they harden their security posture and we're also seeing uh, this in the context of defense institutions uh, where they want to let's say take a battle tank which again is a connected entity or a submarine you want to be in a position to model this and bring this and ensure that the communication protocols are tested and your ability to handle certain situations is done in a very authentic manner so these are some of the situations that uh, crop up very frequently dave that's sashi kiran from quali in patching news manage engine has fixed several zero days disclosed to it by digital defense mozilla has fixed a remote code execution issue in the firefox user interface Firefox version 58.0.1 has the patch. Apps that geolocate devices continue to raise OPSEC concerns. OPSEC is of course the military acronym for operational security, but civilians have related concerns. Sure, you want to know where you are and you're happy your device can help you find your way around, but with all due apologies to members of the extrovert exhibitionist and inveterate show-off communities who may be listening, Most of us don't necessarily want our location uploaded and made available to the idly curious, still less to the many who might wish to audit our daily activities for their own purposes. The Strava fitness app has worried the US Department of Defense for the potential it had to reveal troop locations in its heat map. You might wonder why Strava would collect, aggregate and anonymize user data and publish it in a heat map. Strava CEO James Quarles explained their thinking, quote, Our heat map provides a visualization of activities around the world and many of you use it to find places to be active in your hometown or when you travel. In building it, we respected activity and profile privacy selections, including the ability to opt out of heat maps altogether. However, we learned over the weekend that Strava members in the military, humanitarian workers, and others living abroad may have shared their locations in areas without other activity density. and in doing so inadvertently increased awareness of sensitive locations and quote 
In any case, U.S. Secretary of Defense Mattis thinks it's enough of a problem that he's considering banning not only fitness apps, but smartphones from the Pentagon entirely. He's directed Under Secretary of Defense for Intelligence Joseph D. Kernan to explore the issue and develop an appropriate policy. Since the location of the Pentagon is no mystery, it's clear that the concerns aren't that a heat map is going to betray its position. After all, the old, now gone, hot dog stand that used to do business in the Pentagon's central courtyard had the Cold War nickname Ground Zero Cafe. We have to ask if the secretary has considered the morale effects of a ban. What will all the lieutenant colonels do for stress relief on their breaks if you take away their clash of clans? Walk across Columbia Pike to the mall? That's a hike. And you'd have to go all the way across the parking lot without so much as a Fitbit to track your caloric expenditure or a ways to keep you from getting lost. Don't kill morale. We don't want to see the joint staff's readiness posture degraded. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, welcome back. Um, We saw an article come by from the National Law Review. It was talking about how the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, the NAIC, are going to be adopting a model data cybersecurity law uh, in response to some of the uh, the hacks that we've seen, specifically the Equifax breach. Uh, Take us through what's going on here. So the NAIC is finalizing what would be a model data cybersecurity law. 
it's premised largely on what New York State has done, specifically in response to that Equifax breach. But we see this in other areas of, of the law where you have interest groups. They want to develop some sort of national standard, but they don't think either Congress is capable or, or willing to put it into play at the federal level. And they realize how much power uh, states have, state agencies have, uh, state legislatures have. So they develop a model piece of legislation They basically bring it to every state legislature in the country and look for volunteers to get it enacted. I mean, we've seen that in the criminal context with the model penal code. Uh, and in recent history, uh, we've seen that with a number of pieces of legislation. So I think uh, the approach uh, is particularly novel, uh, trying to come up with model legislation for the states to adopt. So is this kind of a, an end around to get in front of uh, before the feds uh, set a policy that uh, you can go to the states? It seems like, I mean, this is a trade group who's trying to get this done, right? Yeah. So in some ways it could be seen in that way. There are also... You know, we know that Congress only has enumerated powers. They can only uh, enact laws in, in areas that are under their jurisdiction. And while most cyber policies are going to have some sort of effect on interstate commerce, that's not necessarily always going to be the case. But more from a practical level, I think, because Congress is so paralyzed, this interest group sees more potential in state legislatures. You're not confined by filibuster rules or national hot-button political debates. Uh, I think it would just be a more expeditious and easier way to enact these minimum standards. And, you know, I think states are going to be more amenable after seeing the high profile events that have happened uh, over the past several years. Now, when these sorts of things get uh, presented to state legislatures, do they pass through with a few changes or is this just a starting point for a conversation? I think the less controversial the topic, the fewer changes that you're going to see. I don't think you're going to have partisan legislatures fighting over the details of minimum data security standards, especially at state legislatures where many legislators are part-time, aren't as well-versed and experienced in the issues as members of Congress are. My hunch is that this is these standards are more likely to be rubber-stamped in state legislatures than in uh, our federal Congress, and that might be the impetus behind uh, undergoing such an effort here. All right. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.